Hello again, and welcome once more to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get-off-my-lawn cast, which features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons, staring at the prospect of entertainment or relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, of American Caesar Enterprises, which, my old friend Noah, is a new wave keyboard player who's wearing surgical scrubs and a mask for some reason as he pounds at a Yamaha CS80. I am very uh, happy, Bill. Uh, so uh, yesterday was my sister's birthday, and as a gift, I got us tickets in September. We're both going to see Duran Duran for the first time. Wow, speaking, of, speaking of the Yamaha CS80, it's right well, in the Well, exactly. Yeah. Complete with Nick Rhodes. You know, they're, uh, they're, uh, it's four of the five original guys. They, they got rid of Andy Taylor. Apparently, they don't get along with him anymore. Well, what, but wasn't it one the, of the brothers? Wasn't it, it was the two Taylor brothers. They weren't brothers. brothers. That was the joke. It was three Taylors, and they were unrelated. Shit. Oh, okay. John Taylor, bass player, Andy Taylor, guitarist, and Roger Taylor, drums. And completely not related at all. It was the gimmick. And my memory of Nick Rhodes back in Duran Duran's uh, early days, you know, this is the new wave. Like, look at this. Like, boy, George, just the tip of the iceberg. These men dress like women. And uh, there was some, like, news report. Like, Nick Rhodes got married. And they're like, Nick Rhodes, keyboard player of Duran Duran, got married. And guess what? Both bride and groom are wearing the same shade of eyeshadow at the wedding. Uh, but I'm excited, man. Duran Duran, like, I did not think their music would hold up 35 years later. Well, you don't know what uh, Simon LeBon's voice is, but I'm sure whatever it is, it should sit. Look, I say this is a guy who just saw Genesis came through and Phil Collins had, <laughs> he sounds like a frog, but it was a hell of a show. It was really interesting. It was really good. Yeah. You know, here's what I think about bands like that that have been around forever. I mean, most of them is that A, they're pros. They wouldn't still be around if they weren't pros. And B, Simon LeBond might have trouble with his voice, but he could afford a team of like full time throat surgeons and vocal trainers. Like, trust me, he would not hit the road unless he yeah, could pull or, off Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio. You know and, what? You do you what know. Phil Collins did. Phil Collins had two younger dudes on microphones standing, one risers in the back who, who were yeah. alloying his high, his high, you know, the nose he sure. can't hit anymore. So, and yeah. the Sha La 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 Reflex girls will be there, I'm sure. Anyway, you mentioned new wave keyboard players, and I got excited that I'm going to see Duran Duran. Speaking of Duran Duran, uh, that bass on A View to a Kill is insane. Yeah. It is an awesome, awesome bass line. That band has had, they, like, at the time, people were mocking them as, like, ultimate, like, flashes in the pan. But, like, it's kind oh, of amazing. No. That no, they, it, was, uh, it was a solid sound. They had they were solid musicians. Yeah. 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 So that'll be fun. Big big arena. My first time at the Chase Center here in San Francisco, which is only a couple years old. A sponsor uh, of this podcast. Yes. Sponsored by the <laughs> Chase Center and Duran Duran's new album, Greatest Hits Volume 73. Um and Simon LeBond's uh, uh, ear, nose, and throat clinic in uh, in London. Yeah, so. not re- unrelated to the actual singer. It's a weird coincidence. Yeah, that, well, that, he that, just you know he gave him a little money, and uh, it's like said, Trump with Trump's so Truth Social, whatever the fuck it's called. This is my official otolaryngist. Yeah, otolaryngist. Well, that was his dream. He wanted to be an otolaryngist, and he flunked out of otolaryngy school, so he he went his fallback rock star. So. Yeah, it's class A rock star, the biggest biggest star of his day, early MTV star. But he always thought about going back in for the a post nasal drip. You know, he just every, every 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 little British boy's dream. There's an alternate universe where everything's exactly the same as in our universe, except Simon LeBond instead of being a rock star is an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Yeah, so. looking at eustachian tubes to see why yeah, they're eustachian swollen. Tube. Yes, eustachian tubes. Well, there's the the one of these days they're finally going to release the great lost Duran Duran album, which is a rock opera about a desperate young otolaryngist 
and his dreams of um of Ocho Lar- of of winning the Ocho Laryngist of the Year award from the British uh, Ear Nose and Throat Agency. I thought you the joke s- the joke has been worn into the ground. My friend. I thought you were going to say it was like a Roger Dean album cover of the ins- going in like almost like a, you know inside the, the ear the nose and the throat almost like the lamb lies down on Broadway except it's like right. a concept album you know wasn't that the back cover of In the Court of the Crimson King inside someone's throat. <laughs> uh, could have that been. wasn't or Roger was... Dean, though, right? That wasn't Roger. Dean. No, no, no. Roger Dean okay. only did he did uh, yeses and ages. He didn't do any King Crimson's along the way. He didn't do the ELP cover, the brain cell surgery. That was no, that was Giger. That was Giger. Right. Yeah. That was the alien guy. Yeah. Wow, man. folks, we're really t- we've lost about half our list. Oh, I like Gerard Carmichael. I'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> nope, out of there. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell the nice people who the, le- the half left over who you are, in fact. <laughs> Uh, I'm Noah Tarno. I'm founder and senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, uh, soon to be Duran Duran concert goer. Uh, yeah, Big Quiz Thing, trivia game show spectacular. Uh, great to be here with you, Bill. Uh, yeah, on this show, every week we uh, we talk about something new, not Duran Duran, something new on the cutting edge of entertainment. And uh, this is our second time in like less than a couple months that we've uh, we've tackled a stand-up comedian, right, Bill? Yes, we are all about stand-up comedians, apparently. Uh, we have nothing left to fall back on now. Or at least, for some reason, uh, there's a buzzy moment in, in our culture with a stand-up comedian. So, yes, as you tipped our hand, we are talking about, in fact, Mr. Gerard Carmichael. Currently of Los Angeles, but originally of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So, um, Gerard Carmichael is a 35-year-old dude. Uh, been at comedy for a little while. Uh, he is uh, experiencing a buzzy moment, I would say, for the last two weeks or so. Um, he dropped an HBO Max special. By the way, this this whole taxonomy about uh, something that appears, you know, like the HBO comedy special is not the same as something that appears on HBO Max, but people haven't yet figured out, it, is it as valuable to have something on the app as it is on the actual cable channel? Um, people are still trying to There's figure. There's still this. a cable channel. I didn't even realize. That. I know. Yeah, that's the thing. And they're <laughs> two two separate. HBO Max is a brand that's only available online. That's only that the app you pay for, and the cable channel. Anyway, this this is on. This is not on HBO cable. This is on the app. Uh, his special is called Rothaniel. Um, and it was a buzzy thing that dropped because it had some uh, heat behind it. Uh, the, it, it what, what the uh, constituency um, of that show, the topics were kind of um, dealt in advance a little bit so people knew what to, what to expect. Um, oh, and, and, and pairing this also, he was on SNL a couple of weeks ago, which I think they decided to time it uh, coincident to the release. What oh, are the odds? Yes. And I will say, I first learned about it, literally the first time I heard of him, was this guy I know wrote on Facebook, this is the first time I can recall watching SNL and having never heard of both the host and the musical guest. I did not hear about the musical guest, yeah. And I looked it up. It's some rapper called Gunna. I had literally never heard of Gerard Carmichael, and I had, I still, other than in that context, still haven't heard of Gunna. So, you know, I, I is old, my friends. Yeah, that's the way it happens. So, um, yeah, Gerard Carmichael... Uh, Many, many years ago, he moved from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as I mentioned, to L.A. to be in a comedy career in earnest because he realized that Carolina was nowhere. And I can say this is I was in Carolina for two and a half years. I can say it is no place for a stand-up comedian who's serious about their work to ply their trade. Uh, so, yes, he's been out there, uh, I would say, in TVs and films since the year 2014, although he was making comedy earlier than that. Yeah, he he uh, he moved out there a couple years after high school, so I believe, like, Oh seven, he moved up fast, man. He was like two years from his first open mic to playing just for laughs in Montreal, I believe. Two 
two or three years. Yeah, that's 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 impressive. Yeah, in this case, Tim, you know, we'll we'll get into why why all this is. Um, you know, he also had you may recognize he had an, an eponymous or a semi eponymous. It was called the Carmichael Show, an NBC sitcom which ran from 2015 to 2017. Um, and I believe it went off the air. It was three seasons or so. It was six six episodes, twelve episodes, six episodes. Uh, it went off the air because he decided that he just wasn't interested in doing it anymore. And um, he is uh, currently, or has been currently, on and off an executive producer on the Hulu show Rami, which is about a Palestinian American family in Newark, New Jersey, uh, and it has a very polyglot um, uh, writers' room. So there's kind of makes sense that he's there. Um, and uh, as I mentioned before, Rothaniel, which you probably already know this, um, attracted a lot of attention because it is a different kind of stand-up show for this guy. A lot of his stuff is based on observation, but this is more confessional. And uh, it was directed by Bo Burnham. He made a different atmosphere and a different environment out of this. He, they shot it at the Blue Note down in the village. And um, pretty much this was a coming out special. And uh, I think the people who were in the audience for those two nights, I think they shot it over two or three nights. Uh, were you know they were really getting the ground floor of this revelation as he was working it out. He hadn't gone public with any of this stuff. Yeah, so, com- coming out, coming out as gay. Yeah, he literally gay. confesses to the audience who presumably had no idea that he he says at one point I'm gay. So yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean that's the the, the broad strokes. Uh, I don't know. Noah. tell me what did you since you didn't know about this guy? Yeah. What what have you found yeah. out in the last week of research? Literally, literally never heard of him. Never heard of the sitcom. He had the two previous HBO specials. One in 2015, directed by Spike Lee uh, at the Comedy Store in L.A. Love at the Store was called. And then he did one called Eight in 2017. I never figured out why he called it Eight. Uh, shot in the round at the Masonic Hall, someplace like that in yeah, New who, York. Who knew that was a performing venue, by yeah, the way? Directed by Bo Burnham. Well, he you know, he did a stand-up special at the Blue Note. I mean, I've never heard of that happening. Blue Note's a jazz club. So, you know, I mean, clearly he likes the... The, uh, the unorthodox uh, venue. So uh, I started by watching Rathaniel. And as you will recall, Bill, I texted you. It was probably the middle of the night for you, but I, I couldn't help myself. I texted you, this guy is so great. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty, it was immediate. It was immediate yeah. turnaround by you. I, I, I was, I was floored. I thought it was exceptional. Exceptional. Um, he is very honest and not just the so he say he comes out and he says I want to talk about secrets and the first part he talks about you know presumably a completely true story about how his father was a was a was a is still alive a philanderer and all through his childhood he knew his father was cheating on his mom and he found out his father had four children from other women and he tells a whole story about not that long ago just a few years ago when he he forced his father to tell his mother she was the last one in town who found out and how the revelation happened and how they he and his brother prepared his mom for it and all that and then he shifts gear i mean i don't know spoiler alert i knew this was happening and i don't think you'll lose anything but he says and it left me feeling like i was the only one in the family with a big secret and he pauses and he says and that's that i'm gay and then he spends basically the rest of the special talking about coming to terms with his homosexuality and how he feels about society and all that. He comes off as completely honest, purely honest. Uh, The big ending is about how his mother is very religious and she has had a lot of trouble accepting this, right? And there is the most stunning moment, Bill, 
where he's talking about his mom and he's like, you know, she ignores the issue. There are times I almost wish she like hated me because of it. Just some reaction. And he says, I'm talking about this and I know she's watching this. And he looks into the camera for a moment, directly into the camera, you know, as if he's looking at his mom. And it is, I had to take a screenshot of this, Bill. It is absolutely stunning. Um, and it's still a stand-up special. He does not go 45 seconds a minute without a laugh line. He keeps that in mind. That's a compliment I made a couple years ago when Pat Oswalt did, an, uh, I guess it was a Netflix special, and he talked very honestly about his wife. Di- you know, his wife died very suddenly. When yeah, yeah, no, I, that was a big news story, yeah. Right, his wife, who's minor celebrity in her own right, true crime writer. Um, and, you know, he talked about in the stand-up special, he talked about breaking the news to their six-year-old daughter, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but even in the heartbreak, he doesn't go 30 seconds a minute without a laugh line. You know, he he he, he finds a way to incorporate that honesty into stand-up comedy without without just becoming a guy talking to you. Um, and I was inevitably uh, uh, put into mind, uh, Carmichael put me into mind of a former topic of ours, which is Dave Chappelle. And as I think I said at the time, and partly because they're both black, okay, fine. I think they come from a similar style school kind of, you know, I'm sure both of them would say Richard Pryor is one of their favorite. I mean, uh, I would say was, you could say that uh, it's easy. This this guy is obviously influenced by Chappelle. I mean, to, well, yeah, oh, clearly. And uh, he was wearing a red shirt. I read a thing that said that's what Pryor used to wear on stage. Yeah, that's true. There's a couple of concerts. Yeah. Um, and I think, as I say on our Chappelle episode, I think Chappelle is overrated. I think Chappelle, I mean, there are moments I think he's very funny and very perceptive even putting aside my discomfort with his opinion on LGBTQ issues. I mean, I see his opinion. I don't agree. I see it. I don't think he's a monster, but whatever. I just don't think Chappelle's that funny. And I think he's one of these people who's kind of bought his own hype. So he'll get out there and do the confessional bit, but he'll forget that he's supposed to keep us laughing. Uh, I don't think Carmichael has. Maybe when he's as rich and successful and old as Dave Chappelle, he will. I don't know. Um, I don't think he comes off as lazy as Chappelle does. Just I'll go out there and say whatever and it'll be gold. I don't see that from Carmichael. Um, And it's interesting. Also, the comparison to Patton Oswalt, you know, Oswalt I really relate to because I'm a similar guy to him. I'm like a a neurotic, nerdy white guy, you know, kind of sad. But the the tent poles of Carmichael's confession, I'm gay. You know, I'm not gay. Talks about growing, you know, he grew up poor and black. I did not grow up poor. I am not black. So none of those things apply to me, but I still really felt the honesty and the power. He also does something. I noticed this almost off the bat that I'll get into this more with the jealousy thing, but um, he takes a lot of pauses. He really takes his time. I mean, there are whole moments of Rathaniel where he's just, he's in a chair. He's sitting there just hanging his head in his hands. And that's, you know, he'll just sit there for like 10 seconds and you're not bored. You're still transfixed. And not just in my aborted stand-up career a thousand years ago, but now as a performer, what I do, like I still have this fear of letting 10 seconds go by without saying anything. Because, I oh, I'm going to lose the audience. I'm going to lose the audience. He has none of that fear. By the it's way, very impressive. Did you know that a thousand years ago when you're doing your stand-up comedy career, the pyramids were already 2,000 years old? <laughs> Yes. 
uh, it's amazing to know that Stegosaurus is closer to my comedy career than it is to T-Rex. <laughs> Whatever that is. And then Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln, and Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy. Um, and there are even moments in Rathenia where the audience talks back and says some really, you know, really adds to the to the uh, to the event. It almost comes off as a conversation. Um. Yeah, so very bold, very honest. But, Bill, our topic today is not Rathaniel. Our topic today is Gerard Carmichael. So then I went and watched his two earlier HBO specials, and I was not impressed. Uh, whatever. I, still way better stand-up than I ever was. That's not what I'm saying. Um, his shtick kind of evolves from 2015 to 2017 to today. His shtick in 2015 is... I am telling you hard truths, and I know this makes me sound like an asshole, but I'm telling you hard truths. Quote, I can't wait till I can afford to be a Republican because fuck poor people. Or, uh, you know, he says stuff like, I'm sorry, I just don't think black people will ever overcome. And obviously there's a way to do that and be funny. Many comedians have. George Carlin did that, which was great. Um, But I just don't think he's that funny in his way of doing it. I don't think there are clever turns of phrase. Um, his observations don't seem that deep to me. So when you are saying hard truths and not being funny, you just come off as a jerk. So, I mean, it wasn't terrible, the first special Love at the Store, but I just thought he came off as just an unpleasant guy. And then by 17, 2017, the special called Eight, he's funnier, he's more polished, he spends a lot of time apologizing. He says, he'll, he'll say, I mean, I don't have the quotes here. He'll say things like, fuck poor people, or why should I really care about the environment? Seriously, why should I really care? And then he'll, I want to care. I know I should care. I know I want to care. So he spends a lot of time apologizing. I just still don't think it's that funny. So I almost see, like, knowing what we know now about his struggle with the sexuality. Because in both of those earlier specials, he talks about wishing he had a girlfriend. Yeah. And he talks yeah, about being lonely. I did and he's, that. He's very clearly, he's not vague. Like, I wish I had a partner. I wish I could love someone. He says girl, woman, a yeah. lot. No, he was in the closet. You know, there's, there's yeah, no he was in the that. closet probably to himself for the most part. I mean, he's not crystal clear about it, but I imagine he was dating women and secretly on the side picking up guys on the internet. You know? Who knows? Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't gone who, that far yet. We have, we who knows, know that. right? So, um... I see an evolution, so maybe he's less of a jerk now. Because I, I tell you, I, I'm not going to name names, but I know someone who I knew as a teenager, and now I know now. And as a teenager, I thought he was one of the biggest assholes I ever met. And then when I met him again as an adult, he was a homosexual, is a homosexual, and he was a much nicer person. And when we became friends, I even commented to him. I'm like, you were kind of a jerk back then. He said, I was miserable. Yeah, I wasn't he happy. Said, yeah. I couldn't admit to myself that I was in love with my best friend and I couldn't admit who I was. And once I came out of the club, you know, so I like, I mean, it's none of my business, obviously, but whatever. He's putting his personal life out there for my entertainment. So I guess it is my business uh, to an extent. So I'm curious to see where he goes from here because I see a very positive evolution. However, I'm going to say one more thing. The second time I watched Rathaniel, Rathaniel, I started wondering if he's more manipulative than I realized. If the honesty is... Look, I think he's definitely... I don't think he's making up that he's gay. But when he says, you know, that I... I, And he says, you know, that I haven't been honest with you, with the world, with my family. 
And he takes all these pauses and he says, and that's that I'm gay. There's a moment of silence, absolute silence. And then he looks up and looks around the crowd and they start applauding. And I'm like, oh, you're waiting for that, man. And he says in the 2015 special, he talks about gay people coming out of the closet. And he says, if I were gay, my advice to people is save that for when you need it. Don't come out when you're on the top of the world. Because you're gonna get, you're gonna waste it. He talks about wasting. He talks about some guy new wasting coming out of the closet. You need it when you need the sympathy. So I'm like, okay. Did he say I'm gonna save this for a big HBO special around the time I'm hosting SNL? Blah 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 blah. Uh, I, when I realized that, I'm like, aha. On the other hand, it's stand up. I don't think he's lying. Stand up is artifice. We know it's artifice. We play into it. It's like pro wrestling. It's not just someone talking to us. We know there's an act. I don't think he's lying about being gay or struggling with it or his mom being religious or all that. So, yeah, I I, I thought Rathaniel was great. I didn't think the earlier stuff was that great. But I'm curious to see where this guy goes next. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing Gerard Carmichael 2.0, and I don't think it's a stretch to say he's exploiting this now. You know, obviously, if you're, you know, there's one thing about doing this behind um, closed doors and how much you mine your personal life. And, you know, most comedians tend to mine their own personal lives. And again, it makes sense that if you went through something like, you know, he's talking about coming from, quote unquote, the hood. And, you know, traditional Christian African-American background from the country, from the South, you know, and everything about this is set up for a very difficult road to hoe. Um, you know, if you haven't watched, if you haven't watched with Daniel, he talks about a lot of rejection from family members and, you know, prickly attitudes and things that still haven't sorted themselves out yet. Uh, you know, they're ongoing. He's still, but he's choosing to make jokes and, and tell the story about them. You know, I, I liked, I, I too, I've known about him for a couple of years, but I really haven't had an impression of him. I, I, I didn't watch any of the sitcom. Uh, and when this came out, so to speak, when this was on the roll, I wasn't going to watch it because uh, I don't really watch comedy like this anymore. It's really hard to to get me to sign up for the for the the, the one hour comedy special. Now it's like I, I it comedy is so weirdly asymmetric that you don't quite know what you're going to expect. And um, I figured, well, we're going to talk about Gerard Carmichael, so I got to do a bunch of research, uh, and then it's like let's start with Rathaniel. And then I had the idea that Rathaniel was going to be very much not so much comedy as much as a confessional in the mold of Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. Um, yeah. you know, which, it was which, compared to that in a few articles. Already. Yeah. And it's like that, that, that it, I, I tried watching Nanette and it's like, I, this, it doesn't interest me. Uh, I, I'm not saying anything. It's just, it's not my cup of tea. It's not my brand. It's not my thing. It's not what I consider great entertainment. Um, it's more of a confessional, less of It's more, you know, People talking to the audience. It's storytelling. It's the moth. You know, it's not it's not jokes. Yeah, but I think he he really makes the point to keep us laughing, not to it, never forget that this is a stand up show. In just that, like just like that, Patton Oswald talking about his dead wife and his heartbroken yeah, daughter. You well, know? in that respect, actually I did not think this was very funny. I don't think there I think wow. there was long stretches of periods between between laughs. And um, you know, I I'm gonna further some of the points that you said because I definitely noticed not that, again, not that comedians aren't scripted, not that comedians aren't actors, not that comedians aren't manipulative. They all are. Um, I just found that the way in which some of the stuff was being done came off as a little, um, I don't say unnatural, but forced in that I saw him, all the contortions and the acting and the body language and all those things were heightened in a way. You know, it's like Bo Burnham directed this and Bo Burnham, he and Bo Burnham must have spent a lot of time building and designing it, scripting it 
see where the cameras were. You know, one thing I read, I forget where it was. They said the cameras were close enough that to press his nose upon. That's how yeah. close the lens was you, to his you face. You really look him directly. Yeah, in the the, face you know, there's there's like three this. cameras that are really getting three intimate angles looking right at him. So you're not missing anything. They're 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 like chest high. You know, you barely get a wide shot of this guy down to his knees. But it's like the choice to sit in a folding chair on the Blue Note stage. You know, he's not standing up. He's not prowling the stage. The micro the the wire is not going back and forth behind him. He's not doing the traditional things you expect comedians to do. They designed this very much around the idea that he's it's a performance. It's almost like a monologue. I thought it was it was more of a monologue with some jokes, with some notes, some audience participation less than a stand-up special. So the thing is it's like, oh I, I appreciate what he did. Um, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be a caveman here, but I don't know how to say this delicately, but coming out stories don't really touch me that much. They don't they don't say much to me that I can relate to and I, I don't need they don't need I don't need to relate to them. They don't need me to relate to them. That's not a thing. It's just that uh, I, I think there should be more of them. I think that there should be thousands of them. I think, it, it, you know, this is something that there's only begun. We've only begun to have to, to have text about this, uh, but it doesn't interest me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I can't I can't get into it. It's an interesting story, but I'm never going to seek it out. And so to hang this entire thing around it, he, he did not do a bad job with this stuff. It's just that to me, none of this was comedy. This was confessional. This was storytelling. This was monology. This felt like going to see swimming with sharks. You know, uh, what was that uh, the the uh, Spalding Gray? You Spalding know? Gray. Oh, no, I swimming, saw him swimming, once. swimming to yeah. Cambodia. I'm saying swimming to Cambodia. It's, swimming to Cambodia. It's to, yeah. to me, it was more of one of those specials than it was anything else. And it's like Bo Burnham. If you know what the kind of work Bo Burnham does, Bo Burnham is a very manicured, very designed. In you know, Bo Burnham is only thirty. Now he's he's thirty two years old. I forget what he is. Thirty one, thirty two. Um, he has a very deliberate artistic point of view. You know, he is an art director as much as he is a, a comedian. He's an art director and a musician as much as he is anything else. And uh, he applied that same rigorousness to this special more so than the eight, uh, the, the one eight that he did at, at the Masonic Hall. Uh, so I see that this was really heavily designed to be something. It was shot different. It was shot, you know, cam- it, was, it, was, it was a stand-up special that was built camera out rather than material out, I think. Um, like, how, what's the best way to do this? Well, let's put it on the blue note. Let's put it on a small stage. Let's put you in this, you know, uh, uh, put you in the red shirt, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but the idea of secrets and confessional, I mean, I think that informs the aesthetic, don't you? Yeah, no, I think it does. So it that's does. not camera out, that is material out. Uh, right. Yeah, no, but but the, it's it's maximum intimacy. Again, it's in a way that you would yeah. never you would never shoot stand up this way, but you would shoot what this was this way. Now, again, right, because this is very intimate, honest stand up. That's yeah. even if it's manipulative, that's the, the and, idea. That's and the, and the, yes, and it wasn't funny. And the thing is, he did not uh, he did not put. I disagree with you on that. I'm not saying there weren't funny lines, but this was not designed as comedy. But yeah, you can disagree with me. So the thing is, I I went and watched him. Uh, I went and watched him on a panel show. So it's like, oh, once I started seeing him talk to Conan O'Brien and Seth Meyers, you know, and all these other clips of him, you know, like all of a sudden it's like you, I get a different. I understand that this was this was Rathaniel. This was not him sitting on the couch at Seth Meyers. You know, doing seven minutes of you know banter. It's like, of course you're going to get a different animal. I really like that guy. Um, it's hilarious the stuff that he was doing on Conan O'Brien. Uh, the stuff he did on SNL was really funny. He fitted to sketches really well. You know, like some comedians get there and hit the ground running. And so I thought his monologue was okay. But it's like some of the sketches. He did a game show. It's like, I forget, the post-pandemic brain. Yeah, that, that was the only the only things I watched were his monologue 
and the what what's wrong with my brain. Right. I didn't that, think it was that funny. I didn't oh, like I liked it. I thought it was uh, a good choice. You know what? If I was going to say, I, I, I thought it's like the SNL sketch I've seen eight hundred times. Okay, well that might have been the one. Yeah, it might have been the best yeah. one of those two. Yeah. Anyway, so um, you know, like I think maybe his written comedy is a work in progress for me. Again, I turned off eight halfway through because I just felt like I didn't know where it was going. It was really dragging, uh, and it, he kept belaboring the same points about not giving a shit about the spotted owl and wasting water in the shower. And it's like I'm waiting for jokes, and he really didn't. Have, he just had an affability to him. Yeah, and it's like, well, I need more. I need more than affability to sell this thing. I watched some of the TV show. There's some clips of the the Carmichael show, and it's like, God. I'll give this guy a lot of credit for trying to do, you know, of, of the most moribund of forms, the network comedy. He had all the help in the world. He had David Allen Greer played his dad. Um, uh, Lonette McGee, uh, I forget who played as the actress. I'm losing it right now. Oh, T- Tiffany Haddish was on the show. Lil Rel Howlery's on the show. It's like it, they really went all out on it. But, you know, it's like it was still a corny network show. Even if there were jokes about abortion, gun control. There was actually, I think in the first season, he was, um, he, he was uh, there was a mass shooting incident off camera. Yeah. And it's like that's what the, one of the audience. I, I, I read, I didn't watch the show, but I read the Wikipedia page about it. And they had to pull an episode. About yeah. mass shooting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just yeah because there was one. I'm sure it would have been. Yeah. yeah. So like this stuff is you know he's I, I, it's really adventurous and it's like a guy who's got this much intelligence, a guy who's this much of a sort of protean form where his comedy changes, and obviously he's got a lot of upside. He's going to he's going to try a lot of different things along the way, you know. And it's like he's only 35. You know, I mean he he could be at the peak of I mean he's he's executive producing things, he's doing this, and he's got it. Gerard Carmichael 2.0 now with the heat from Rothaniel is going to go in another direction. He definitely has used this wisely, used it well, and he's going to be in a, yeah. different, a different class he's, comedian. He, he saved the coming out for the right moment. I was really out here lying, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's a thing. I came out too late, like a little too late. I was like 30. <laughs> That it gets better shit is for the kids. Like, that's not for an adult man figuring himself out. Like, they don't want that. So why is Gerard Carmichael big? Why did SNL put him on? Why is HBO keep giving him specials? Why, why, why? Well, you know, he is obviously one of those good guy comedians. Uh, the impression he gives off, his, his carriage, his body language, his grooming. Um, you know, there's, there's something very positive and affable and friendly when you see the guy. Uh, he looks at home on stage holding the microphone. Um, the tone of his voice, the way in which he, 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 his charisma just sort of oozes off the guy. You know, it's, he, he, I have actually known some comedians without charisma, and I've known bad comedians who are all charisma. You know, and sometimes those things work in the right proportion, where it's like you get, you get good material plus charisma plus you're a performer. And somehow that, you know, all, if that, if the, that's, the, those are the best. Yeah, those are the best. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, and then the comedians with no material, but you just like them so they can get on stage and do whatever the fuck and they get a sitcom. There's a lot fuck of those guys. guys. Yeah, fuck those guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, his material is funny and thoughtful. He's always topical. He's observational. You know, I mean, I don't know if I made that point. It's like, even though what he observes are larger societal things, you know, he will go into jokes about racism and the difference between the sexes and, 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 you know, things like that, but it's still observational. I mean, it is, it is of a class with, um, I mean, you know, in some ways the, the eighties observational, uh, revolution in comedy with the Seinfeld and with all those guys who, who really went into that and made it less about themselves 
and more about, hey, you guys, what about airline food? This is something we can all experience. <laughs> and it's like, this isn't quite that, but it's still observational. <laughs> and it's like, he's, he's what, he, what he chooses to observe, what he sees, the things that, uh, you know, if he's, if he's looking at something, it's like small details don't escape his purview. Um, so, you know, th- there's so many combinations of easy things. He's, you know, camera ready. Uh, he has been hanging around the proper podcasts and he's been hanging around the right friends, the yeah. Largo at the Cornet, yeah. all these shows. Yeah. It's like, hey, but, yeah. but look, you have to do this. This is your job. Your job I is was to- never going to get. To, into that world i was never going to become one of the comedy cool kids your job is to I, schmooze your job is yeah. to go meet these guys yeah comedy yep. bang bang and, and hang sell out yourself people. sell yourself yeah, yeah exactly and so right. uh you know like right. that it takes work to do that and not they don't just let everybody into the room you have to kind of earn your ticket but once you start doing those things it's more easy to be viewed as a popular comedian if you have a lot of podcast appearances right because all, you're told if an audience is told you're good they are far more likely to laugh at you than if they're not told you're good. You're gonna go. Out there. I mean, he look. I learned that. Yeah, just, just don't get me wrong. He had to prove himself. He did, but he also has been very, uh, very savvy about the, the ways in which he, you know, again, moving to Los Angeles, which is the deep end of the pool. But at the same time, we're talking about him now. So this guy had the goods, you know. And that I could say yeah. maybe it's as simple as that. That's why it's popular. Oh, and he's. I would say, you know, uh, you know what you just said before. He's going to be more popular because this is going to endear him to a whole audience that they they didn't they never knew. Now he will appear he will apply to a whole other audience of people who just were passingly familiar. So again, right. Uh, right. Carmichael 2.0 is going to experience a kick in the ass, which is going to be really interesting to see. He says in his monologue in SNL, he has to be the least famous host of SNL ever, which is factually untrue. It's factually untrue. Uh, in in 1977 or 78. Very fit. One of the most famous musical performances in SNL, uh, Elvis Costello and the Attractions came out and they started less than zero and they interrupted it and started doing Radio Radio, which pissed off the producers. It's an anti-media song. It's his best song. Uh, and he was banned from the show for like 12 years. The host of that episode was uh, like an 80-year-old grandmother who had won a contest to host SNL. So why is this popular? Right. Why? Thank you. Get us back on topic. Uh, well, look, focusing on Nathaniel, he's honest or he seems honest. I think he's honest. He's mostly honest. He, he's, he's honest and he's good at expressing it in a very bold, honest way. And we all want some honesty right now. We're drowning in bullshit in our culture. And someone who makes us feel something is a valuable commodity, right? And I would argue, I know you disagree, that he makes us feel it in an entertaining way. I will also say that as much as I didn't find the earlier specials and to extent Rathaniel, I don't find, you know, the things I look for in great comedy, the turns of phrase, the, the, the wordplay, the, um, um, you know, the, the deep observations, as much as I don't see those in abundance in his work, I do think he's got some real skills in terms of joke structure. Uh, there's a moment in Rathaniel that really jumped out at me when uh, his dad, confessed to his mom about his cheating and his other children they started by he and his brother took her out to dinner and then brought her home and then he told her there that's how they played it. i don't know why so he says how they they took her to a hibachi restaurant and he just in the middle of this deep thing he just says by the way i get annoyed when i go to those restaurants and they don't have a japanese chef they're mexican when, you know, a mexican guy yeah. some mexican guy and then he's like about to get back on and he says but wait a minute how many japanese chefs are in north carolina like just this total aside and I think that gets at it, like, there's nothing deep about, there's no turn of phrase about Japanese chef that's unique there. It's just the observation and the way he takes that detour at the perfect moment 
and it kills the tension of the moment. You know, it, it, it relieves the tension of the moment and the audience laughs. It seems very honest, very direct. The fact that it isn't a turn of phrase, it's something you just might say to a friend, you know, which is one of the great tricks of stand-up, making it seem like that. So for all my criticism of the jokes, quote-unquote, I think he's got some real stand-up chops in terms of structure, pacing, things like that. So he's a talented guy. Like you say, he clearly knows how to play the game, and that's half of it. That's the half I was never going to get. I still think if I'd stuck with it, I might have been able to make it as a writer. I don't think I ever would have been able to make it as a stand-up. Um, so he's got the skills, and he chose his moment, man. All my friends felt like I was just duplicitous. <laughs> like I was just lying to them. They, they didn't know who I was. They all reacted like Sally Field and Mrs. Doubtfire. They were like, the whole time? Like they were very... Would you have liked this as a kid, Noah, this topic we're discussing right now? Gerard Carmichael. Rathaniel Gerard Carmichael. Again, I'm not giving away too much. Rathaniel is his real first name, and he says at the beginning how he hates his real first name, and he doesn't like telling anyone about it. And finally, at the very end, he reveals it. He just blurts it out. Yeah. Yeah. He says, by the way, I, not to pat myself on the back, I predicted that's how it would end. He would Uh, say it at the end. Well, because, I mean, it leads off with it so big up front. It's it's almost like, yeah, yeah, what else could it be? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, exactly. Uh... Well, I think I'd like him more than I like him now. You know, as I've said many times in the show, I was way into stand-up as a kid, which is why I thought I wanted to be a stand-up. And I think, you know, my criticism of his, oh, he's so blunt, he's telling raw truths, but they're just not funny, so he comes off as an asshole. I think I would have found them funnier or bolder or more truthful or more meaningful as a young man uh, because... I hear a lot. I mean, he was young when he was doing that first special. It was like 27. And I detected a lot of like, like, oh, I'm the first person to realize that, you know, people are selfish. I mean, he's not that bad, but like, I think in my young guy naivete, I would have found him more profound than I find him now. And also a lot of people say this, you get older and you're just... I don't know about you, Bill, but the older I get, and partly the way the world is, I just want to go, like, just be nice to people. Like, I don't find (laughs) being mean as funny as I used to. So, like, this idea of, like, yeah, I don't care. Fuck poor people. I wish I had enough money to say that. I just don't find that funny. I just, like I said, it just comes off as an asshole. Like, I'm not entertained by being an asshole. Like, fine, we're all hypocrites. Great. I know that. You know, we all know what, that. What just be nice to people. We're just the, trying to stay alive the here. The of, like, Bill Maher. People are going back to this moment where they're almost, like, treating him like a truth teller. And I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure I ever believed that just because he's got this show. And it's like he has this sort of withering. He sort of wrinkles. He he, he smirks and wrinkles his, his brow. Are you talking says, about Bill Maher or Gerard Carver? No. Bill Maher. I'm just saying in, t- in terms of the kind of thing, yes, be nice, but it, there's this moment in comedy right now where the, the kind of people who are considered truth tellers, the kind of people who are considered sages, I'm not really sure. Joe that Rogan or yeah. fucking you know, all those point, Charlie point, Kirk, all those pieces of shit. Well, anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's all right. I just, this is my point that like, I don't know. It's just being a jerk isn't so funny to me anymore. And I don't think his early observations are that deep. Um, and I wouldn't have seen the artifice so much as a young man. That's definitely And I don't true. know. I'm yeah. torn. I'm torn. But in some ways, I admire the artifice. But in other ways, like, it just forces me to wonder if he's really, you know, so much of what I value of his work is the honesty. And 
I don't know when I when I start wondering if the honesty isn't as one thousand percent honest as I first thought, it it gives me pause. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah. I, it's nitpicking, but you know that's where we are. Well, it's a fucking what, podcast. What do you what, want from me? What, what you say about uh, you, you know as we're kids, it's easier to dazzle. I say kids anywhere between. You know, I did a lot of comedy watching my teen years when Comedy Central quite literally filled the 1990s with so much stand up. In a way, it wasn't all great, but it was definitely stand-up. And so you saw a lot of it. You saw guys who were on the way up, guys who were on the way down, and guys who were on the way middle. And um, uh, On their way toward the middle. On the way middle, exactly. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, you know, uh, it was a lot easier to get material by me. You know, like the stuff that made me laugh, the nuance of it was not there. And it did sound like this is the first guy to invent some of these observations or the clever turn of phrase. And it's like, oh, well, I don't think I could go back and watch some of that stuff now. Uh, it might not be ready for prime time. But, uh, you know, the thing is that it all depends on when you hit somebody when they're younger. You know, I could imagine, uh, I've always thought like Bill Hicks, for instance. With You know, Bill Hicks was a big deal in like 1989. But if you go back and look at Bill Hicks' stuff, it's like it's incredibly facile. I mean, maybe that was the state of art. For, for I, I, I wouldn't say that. Because you could bring up Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks versus Gerard Carmichael. Bill Hicks came off as an asshole as well and a curmudgeon. Yeah. I but mean, he that, had that the turns the of he had the turns of phrase. Yeah, he was always funny. That's what I think is missing from Carmichael's earlier. Well, stuff. He was also and also Bill Hicks was never was also honest and confessional in a kind of depressing way. Yeah, no, but he was also strident, and there's just so much of that. Yes, I don't know. Like I said, I'm a true. But he teller. kept me laughing. Strident's fine as long as you keep me laughing. Well, we we left when we were 13, 14 years old. That's the thing. It's like what yeah. was, what would Bill Hicks if Bill Hicks uh, had not died of lung cancer? Well, oh anyway, th- this is all a long he, story. He, he, his his brain would have exploded by now. He probably he either would have would have gone right wing crazy, which I would break my heart. But guys like that sometimes do. Or his brain would have exploded with. I mean, he thought George H. W. Bush was the greatest villain of he, of all time. Can you yeah. imagine? Well, yes, you know, like I, the thing is, the observational stuff was in its heyday when we were younger. I mean, you know, Seinfeld got his TV show, and I think it was eighty nine. Was the eighty nine Seinfeld Chronicles yeah. eighty nine? Uh, but he had HBO Seinfeld had HBO specials going back to like eighty six, eighty seven. Uh-huh. He was the governor's joke writer on Benson. Yeah, yeah, and it's like um, I think that Carmichael stuff would have hit me so much stronger than it does now. In terms of a stand-up, I'm saying, um, you know, if I had seen something like Rathaniel when I was 17 years old, and again, like you say, maybe the artifice would have been a little blurred and smudged, and I wouldn't have seen the uh, you know the patent production of it, the the decision making, the design. Yeah, I'm sure. You know what? It would probably hit me in the gut more than it does now. Just because, again, uh, it's really hard for me to not see the strings and the wires and the schematics of, of you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean if it works or not. It's just that I have have trouble looking at something and not seeing the way in which it was designed. It's like a, a magician looking at another magician saying, I got how you did that trick. I know you pulled the rings apart. I know you saw the lady. It doesn't mean that you didn't do it well. It just means that it's like, I get it. I watch, you know, I see how it goes. Yeah, I think if anything, uh, Carmichael would have been a better fit for me when I was a younger person. Um, you know, and again, it's like, Christ, if you were a person today looking for, you know, like him coming out in this way, him still being a national figure, him still working on all these uh, projects, still working in media. I mean, it's it, it, it and at this moment where the country is taking an even further rightward dip, it's great to have another voice out there who is going to give them shit. I think that is a, a really compelling thing to know that this is... You got another, I don't want to say a culture warrior, but you got another fighter on the way. If you say you're gay in New York, you can ride the bus for free and people just give you pizza. 
is uh, the rise of Gerard, 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 jeez. The rise of Gerard Carmichael. At first I kept, is it Gerard or Jared? And I had to like, I kept forgetting in my head and I had to like go and literally listen to someone say it like three times to, to get it in there. Is the rise of Gerard Carmichael a sign of the apocalypse? Yeah, you know, this, this is where I always produce some uh, counter argument. It's like, well, not only is he not a sign of the apocalypse, let's talk about how it might be the anthem of that for the moment. And... um you know, there, there is, I may have, uh, may have received Rathaniel um, a little lukewarmly, uh, clearly realizing that this wasn't for me. I have to say, though, that the fusion of Carmichael's thing with Bo Burnham in particular looks like to have been the correct fit. I think he uh, he found the right guy to shepherd some of these this comedy. Again, not having seen the Spike Lee thing, you know, Bo Burnham represents a different generation of performer, a, a, you know, DIY guy. Bo Burnham is his own artist. You know, he... Plays all the instruments, does all the editing, does all the lighting, runs all the camera, writes all the jokes, writes all the songs, does all, you know. Uh, he's He was a one-man band. I mean, now he's got a, probably an apparatus around him, but he still, for the most part, does his own thing. And so to fuse Carmichael's own form of comedy, coming from where he came from, with Bo Burnham's, um, you know, his kind of like suburban, white, middle-class uh, thing where anybody could be a star. You know, you just put your mind to it and, you you know, you work, you, you put elbow grease into it and you control all the means of production in terms of your own comedy. And it's like, well, that's a that's an interesting fusion. Also, Bo Burnham is lending a particular sense of art direction and creative style that maybe um, is influencing uh, Carmichael in a new way. So yeah, you know, there's not just not just him coming out, but you know, like it looks to be like a creative change is happening in his career where he is doing his art differently. And which is why no, that's I don't think it's a sign of the apocalypse. If anything, it's that really fluid, synthetic uh, manner in which a lot of artists go back and forth. You know, Donald Glover makes albums, makes Atlanta, makes movies like Guava Island. He doesn't get stuck in one little box along the way. And I have a feeling that um you know, I have a feeling Carmichael's not going to get stuck. We're going to call him a comedian, but he's really going to be a, a, a multi-hyphenate, I think. Uh, no, he's not a sign of the apocalypse. I mean, as much as I I, I think Rathaniel in many ways is, is the antidote to, like I say, people love it because it's honest and we're so sick of bullshit and we need more honesty. Um, and look, it's hard for us. Our perspective, we're like, part of me is like big fucking deal. Oh, you're in entertainment and you're gay? Like... What is this, 1978? Like, that's, like, stop the presses. There's a gay entertainer. But <laughs> you got to understand, you know, I mean, and he, and he makes this clear. Like, the world I come from, it's still not cool. Like, he talks about how his brother, he's very close with his brother. and But his brother, he basically says, he's like, I don't, I don't deal with the gay stuff, but I still love you anyway. He's like, my brother loves me in spite of it. And how that feels condescending and hurts his feelings. You know, he comes from a world that is in terms of LGBTQ acceptance is a little behind the world we come from. I mean, it's ahead of a lot of people in this country. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are moving back to the, you know, the 1800s in that regard. But, um, you know, it's a lot harder for him to come out than it would be for someone from our milieu or most people in show business, I'm sure. Um, And also it's a personal thing. Like, you don't know. Like, clearly he struggled with this, right? So it kind of doesn't matter what it's about. Uh, so I think the honesty is an antidote to a lot of what ails us and what is leading us down the road to Armageddon. And also, as much as I might quibble with the content of his earlier stand-up, even then, he did the work. 
You know, he put in the time. That's something I've always valued about stand-up more than almost any other art form. Uh, it, it rewards hard work. You need to put in the elbow grease. The cream rises to the top. And he earned it. He earned it, you know? So some of it might not be my cup of tea, and some of it I might think is lazier than I'd rather it be, but, you know, he... Despite the fact that at a first HBO special, he takes out a pocket notebook and he reads from it, which a cardinal sin and no eternal offends dies. me. I don't know how often I'm ever going to be on live TV, and I know I'll never get to talk to him, so I have to do this. Uh, Barack Obama, you want to meet me at camera two really fast? Uh, <laughs> hey, B, what's going on, man? You don't know me. I'm Gerard. Nice to meet you. So, real quick, you just chilling right now? Like you just not? You just writing books? Which is nice. I bought the last one, but it's like 900 pages. And Anyway, you got us all hopped up on hope and change. And unfortunately, I have some news for you, Barack. Uh, I can't possibly see how the topic of jealousy is going to get away from us on Karma. So how, how do you feel about uh, No, Carmichael every stand-up. Well, I don't feel ending. as bad as that. I mean, <laughs> you'll all recall how I kind of lost it uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about John Mulaney, the last stand-up. I mentioned on this show, like three friends listened yeah. to the podcast and went, Jesus Christ, are you okay? <laughs> uh, but any successful stand-up I'm going to be jealous of because, as I said, I tried stand-up and I I wouldn't say I failed because I got out while the getting was good. You know, it's you could fail a lot harder in stand-up than I well, you, you adapted your um, stand-up into something that, you know, is more your thing. I found a way to make the best of I, – I, I knew what I, – I read the writing on the wall at the right time and I found a way to make the best of a situation. Um, oh, to correct myself, he was four years from the open mic to Just for Laughs, which is still impressive. Uh, I mean, I did stand up a total of three years. I was not a year away from Just for Laughs. Uh, you know, he played Montreal. So I'm jealous that he made it in that business. I'm jealous that you talk about it. he was able to play the game, get on the right podcast, make the right friends, get Spike Lee on his side. I was nowhere near getting powerful people lobbying for me or taking me under their wing. I mean... I've been doing, you know, quiz shows for 20 years, a form of entertainment. And, you know, I mean, less than I used to because I moved into the corporate events world. But I'm still hoping, like, the showbiz big wig sees me and says, I'm going to put you on HBO. And it never happened. I think I came within spitting distance a few times. But whether it was luck or just I might just not be that exceptional, it just it never happened. And and I'm jealous of those it happens to. I'm, I'm only human. I'm jealous. Uh I mentioned before the fact that he does these pauses. He has the strength and the confidence to let silence happen during his performance. It still terrifies me. I'm afraid if I spend five seconds without throwing something in people's face, you'll, you'll walk lose out the, the people. Room. Yeah, I hear I'll lose saying. them. They're out of there. He doesn't have that fear. Uh, so I'm jealous of that. And then, look, he he gets to do this big, dramatic, open a vein, expose my heart thing to the world. And people care and people applaud and people make a big deal about it and they put him on SNL. I mean, you know, any anyone who has any shred of self-awareness or introspection has had their own something akin to I am gay and I am facing that. I mean, obviously we're not all gay, but I am self-discovery and moments of, of facing truths about themselves that might have been uncomfortable before. The honest emotional moments. And most of us... Those things happen in silence or maybe to a few friends or maybe to our family or may, or just in our head. And 
being a someone who wants to perform and be on stage, I am jealous that someone gets to have this moment for the world to share in. Uh, I've had a couple moments like that. And yeah, like I said, maybe a couple people I got to share them with. So I'm jealous that he gets to be that guy, that the world cares about his, not necessarily pain, but that his emotional growth. Uh, so very, very jealous of the guy. But hey, you know, whatever. Better him than uh, a lot of people. I mean, he's people have developed a parasocial relationship with him, and as they have with Mulaney, yeah. you know. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, it's not just yeah. a matter of looking at these people from afar. It is that you're sort of participating and rooting for them as human beings as well, having a sort of one-sided friendship. I mean, he. I, I was going to say in my notes I wrote he's young, which, uh, yeah, he's 35. He's, he's not that young. No, he's not that young. He's 12 years yeah. younger than I am, uh, or, or as will be. But... Um, no, it's true. He's younger, but it looks like, in spite of whatever damage that this guy had, and you know, he grew up in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, with a lot of you know, a dysfunctional part of the country, uh, you know, economically from a lower rung. He he seems very functional, you know, and he seems clever, and he gives off the idea that you can almost trust him to be successful. Like, you know, you give him a hundred bucks, he's not going to just piss it away. He's like, or you ask, if you ask him to, can yeah. you please walk my dog around the block? He's not going to lose your <laughs> dog. You know, like yeah. it's easy to impute that on him. Um, you know, so that stuff is really, that's, that's the parasocial stuff that like makes it easy to get around him. Going back to why he was popular, you know? Um, yeah, you know, and, and he's got the, the cool L.A. comedian friends. Uh, he's, he was enterprising enough to, to run his own sitcom and then kind of back yep. out when he didn't want to do it anymore yeah, and yeah. work on this stuff. I think that there are, I mean, not that I've ever wanted to do comedy. I've wanted to be liked. I've wanted to be enjoyed as a wit, uh, as somebody who entertains people. Um, and obviously this guy, Gerard Carmichael, just has so many more. He excels at things that I thought I might have been okay at in life. He just seems to be more handsome. More charismatic, funnier, more pro- you know, more progressive. All these things just seem to come so much easier to him. Of course, I'm looking at the gloss of the performance. You know, I'm looking at the 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 put forth image of confident. Even even when he's sitting there with his head in his hands, even you know, even if he's just going through his convolutions and contortions over his his uncle Junebug and his mom, he <laughs> he still seems to be more put together about it. Even at his lowest, you know, even his sort of like his lowest ebb, if you want to call it that. So that's, that is definitely something to be jealous of if you're looking yeah. from the outside. He must have had a lot of pain for years, man. Of course. Of course, you know. And this you know, is, this he is, must have had a lot of pain. He clearly struggled with this. This is how it gets synthesized. So in our final yeah. segment, tell me on the floaty, the, flo- the Floatian scale. This isn't Floatian F- Floatian, the, flo- the Flotsium and Jetsium scale. So where does this thing fall on our scale? Yeah, all right. So let's talk about stand-ups, right? Let's talk about people we've referenced. I want to say he's 140% of John Mulaney, who I thought Mulaney was okay. I mean, I had issues with him seeming as a human being. Uh, 140% of John Mulaney, but one quarter of Bo Burnham. You know, we've referenced Bo Burnham, and as you recall, Bo Burnham still stands as of all the, what is it? How many topics have we done on this show? 230 or somewhat. Yeah. 210, I think is more like. Let's look it up. Of all the 200 some... 216, 216, 216. 216, thank you. All those topics, Burnham's easily in the top 10%, maybe the top 10, right? Uh, I just think, you know, even though I don't follow his career so closely, I still got to see that freaking movie he directed. Uh, I He struck me as a rare talent. And frankly, I had that thought watching Rathaniel, 
But then when I went back and watched the other stuff, I'm like, yeah, Rathaniel might be just a moment. I mean, if he just keeps doing Rathaniels, keeps every everyone's a new. Oh, I I last one I I discovered I'm gay. Now I discovered that you know I'm uh, you know something else like I, I enjoy soft boiled eggs. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I'm allergic to I'm allergic to to pork products. I don't <laughs> I have know, a weed whatever. allergy. <laughs> I have a weed, and I, I I've been lying to you. I uh, I'm, I'm gluten sensitive. We love you. Um, so, um, yeah, Bo Burnham, I think is exceptional, an exceptional talent of his generation for now. I think that I reserve the right to change my mind. So I'd say 140% of Mulaney, but one quarter of Bo Burnham, right? Or maybe one third, one third of Bo Burnham. I think so that's, that's where it is. Yeah. Usually I don't like to compare like, I like to go around and pick another topic. So, you know, I would, I would compare Right. Because that's, that's because you make no sense. Yeah. I would love to tell you guys that, you know, how many acai bowls he equals, uh, but I, I can't, (laughs) I can't do that today. Uh, No, I, you know what? I did think I, Bo Burnham came to mind too. I do put him below. I'm I'm not going to quantify if if it's even worth talking about how, like how much he is below Bo Burnham. But I think for the same reasons, Bo Burnham strikes me as kind of a Carl Reiner type talent in terms of the size and the role he's going to occupy uh, of being a designer, of being a, a guy who moves the needle, a guy who dictates what the art form looks like going on, going forward. Again, Bo Burnham is not a baby anymore. He's in his 30s. So he's well on his way to doing these things. And, um, you know, I think Carmichael could uh, get close to there. He could, he could be in that same type of... Um, his job could be... Uh, I want to say maybe I say innovator. I'm being really kind, but it could be like innovator. You know, like you change what stand up what stand up comedy is. You you fuse it to all these other things, and uh, if this partnership is temporary, if this partnership got them through a couple of specials, if it goes into movies, if it goes in whatever this becomes, I'm curious to see if um, if he does follow in the mold of Bo Burnham, or if Bo Burnham continues to be. Who you know what I think we both regard as almost like an insuit generous kind of art, uh, talent right now. We're I mean Donald Glover I would say Donald he's Bo Burnham is more prolific than Donald Glover. Donald Glover has more of a tempestuous relationship with his audience, and Bo Burnham doesn't. Uh, so again, they're not they're not necessarily Bo Burnham is not the only one of these that there is. However, he seems to be the most prolific for the moment, and so he is kind of the standard bearer for this new type of. Um, I don't know what gen- if you're 30 years old. What generation are you? Now? Are you Z? Are you- oh, that's all that stuff is bullshit. Yeah, but it's the taxonomy. People I care I about. hate it, man. When I was a kid, I was younger than Gen X. When Gen X was on the cover of every issue of Newsweek, I was way behind Gen X. Now somehow I'm in the middle. Yeah, it's all crap. Well, it's all anyway. bullshit. Other than boomers destroying the world, I don't like talking about those generations. If you guys want to find past episodes of this show, look on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Uh, write to us at Noah and Bill. Don't get at gmail.com gives a review on the aggregators because that's how people find podcasts uh through you hitting uh you know algorithmic activity that's i can't explain it i don't have time for this right now uh i am on twitter <laughs> personally at william scurry my video content is on uh, youtube at youtube.com youtube.com slash am caesar and now noah will tell you what he do uh, big quiz thing. Bigquizthing.com, America's finest source of corporate and private trivia events. Virtually in-person hybrid. Oh, I am glowing, Bill. Glowing. Because Thursday night, I I did not realize how much I missed the in-person events. And Thursday night, I went back for the first time since pre-pandemic to um, not the main Googleplex. You know, Google's main headquarters in Mountain View. But they have a, another headquarters in Sunnyvale, which is another town in the Bay Area. Looks the same. Big, you know, big corporate 
Dot-com offices. They all look the same. They're all impressive. And I did an event there, and it was just not only nice to do the in-person event again, but, uh, you know, Google, hey, big name, want to brag. And uh, just so great. So, but we're still doing the virtual, still having a ton of fun with that. Hybrid events, some virtual, some in-person. We've mastered those. And uh, we're still occasionally occasionally doing public events. And in fact, I'm hosting one out here in San Francisco, uh, Sunday, April 24th. We're back at The Crossing, a beautiful outdoor public event space right in the heart. Well, not really the heart, but right on the off the Embarcadero, former Transbay Temporary Terminal. Hosted by me, free to play. So uh, check out details at bigquisting.com and hire us for your own uh, customized trivia event experience like no other. Well, all right, everybody. Until the next wonderful episode of this podcast where we sit hunched over in a chair telling truths about ourselves, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.